reason they get stuck is because they don't have a clear plan. They don't have the right guidance and they don't have the right systems to be able to get them with it. If you don't get stuck, then you, you, you can't help but achieve your goals. And the evidence points to the fact that because most people try and do it themselves, that's why they get stuck at the first property. So I think the fear is probably reasonable because the statistics point to the fact that most people do stuff it up. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dash Not Inside of the Auditory Epicenter for Property Investors Seeking a Life of Freedom, Choice and Abundance. And on today's episode, we're talking with Sam Kritsotakis, almost stuffed it up there, uh, Sam, who is one of our senior advisors at Dash Not. Sam, how are you? Mate, really well. How about yourself? Hey, very, very good. Um, I'm grateful that I get to spend quite a lot of time hanging out with you and I'm really excited to have you on the show. For people who don't know who you are, why don't you give us a kind of you know, the 30-second Clifto version. Who are you and what do you do at Dashdot? How do you help people? Awesome. Obviously, guys, my name's Sam. Um, I am the, one of the advisors, a senior advisor here at Dashdot. I am going to be one of the first conversations that you'll have coming into Dashdot and working with us to therefore create your portfolio. So a little bit, of a, bit more background about me. I bought my first property in 1999, um, have been involved in multiple dozens of investment deals between myself, my dad, my brother, and then the three of us together. Um, that was when I was 21. Um, I have had a love of property ever since, put myself through on a dozen different property courses and all that kind of good stuff and I uh, have always have always appreciated property. So I um, bought and sold multiple properties as well and, and I find myself wanting to be able to give back and help people basically achieve what I've been able to achieve through property. Love it. So you said you bought the first property when you were 21, is that right? Yeah, yeah. 1999, we- pre-Olympics. Nice. Nice. Whereabouts was that? That was in Sydney, in Sydney. Nice. So back when you were 21 years old, what was the main motive? Like, why did you even get in, interested in property investing? Like, how did that start? That's a pretty young age. I have to put my hand up here. I have a very traditional dad and he kind of forced my hand in this one. I'd been saving up money to go to Europe. Um, you can see in the Greek surname, I was literally planning to go to Greece. The day I was going to flight center to buy the ticket, he's come up the back of me and go whack on the back of my head. Hey, we're going to go buy a house. And a little bit of an upstart at 21. And I was like, you know, what the hell are you talking about, Dad? That afternoon, I paid $5,000 deposit and bought my first house. Nice. How much was the property? 290K. 290K. Where did you say that was again? Sydenham. Sydenham. Damn. As if you get a 290K property in Sydenham. Oh, it's crazy, right? Crazy. That's insane. And so... That was your first foray into property. How'd that go? Yeah, really well, really well. I had a funny story actually. From a growth perspective, it's been amazing. Um, the first tenant we put in there, I was really going ho, and I thought, oh, I'll just manage it myself. And I put the worst tenant you could ever imagine in there. Um, found out that they were running both a brothel and selling drugs out of the property. Uh, it was, it was well, at least so, you know. At least they were diversifying their income streams. Like, I know, right? There was no problem in them paying, right? Let's be honest. But hey, it just wasn't how I wanted to run my portfolio at that point in time, even at 21. Um, at that point in time, yeah, you, know, <laughs> you know, you might be open to it. You know, a little bit of 100%. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. Nice. And so, and so you mentioned how many properties have you bought, sold, all of that kind of stuff over the last, well, how many years is that? I don't want to date you too much, but that must be what? 23 plus. Okay, cool. Three, four years now, actually. Just 24 years. Yeah. So, 
How many properties have you bought and sold over the last sort of 24 years? And me personally? 13. Yeah. 13. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. Yep. That's so good. With the and family, um, it's shit approaching 30. Excuse French, but approaching 30 odd. Approaching 30 odd. What do you mean? Where's the difference between those two numbers? So 13 that you have bought and sold and 30 with the family. What, what do you, where's the difference? Where's the, what's, the diff, what's the delta between those two? What do you mean? So dad was always big on education. Um, you know, the Greek surname, we worked on Greek economics at the dinner table. It was always property, business, and money, and all that kind of stuff. So, really, really grateful. What's Greek economics for the un- What's the Greek economics for the uninitiated? Well, it's just a Greek way of making money. Basically, you buy property, you hold on to them, and you make bricks in the backyard on the weekend, and then you build property afterwards. <laughs> so that's what the dinner table conversation was. It was really cool, but at the time, you know, I was twenty one, I was playing football and playing soccer and everything, and um, that was really what I wanted to do. But in the background, I always knew that that would never be forever. So I was quite happy that I eventually understood that this has a lot more power than um, what I was able to achieve in, in football world. Mm. Okay. So how many deals did you do with your, your dad? Directly, six. Indirectly? Interesting. Yeah, the balance. While he did the deals, I was involved in the deals as well. So we spoke about the fi- the, the structure, we spoke about the financing, we spoke about the goal we spoke about, you know, the short, medium, long-term plan for that specific property. Ah, okay. Got it. Got it. So there were family purchases that you were sort of involved in, but then 13, you've sort of directly done you, directly done yourself. What have been the um, some of the biggest lessons you've learned over the last 24 years, of, you know, being involved in 30 transactions yourself? Oh, the first thing my old man told me was that property are like buses. There is always another one around the corner. Literally. Yeah. The next part, and I don't say that facetiously, but it, it's actually proven true. So um, what he's getting at though, just to elaborate here if you don't mind, is don't get tied emotionally to the property itself. Run this thing like a business. And I know we speak about it a lot um, in the back end here at Dashdot, but his whole thing and his whole MO was running this investment journey like you would run a business and taking out that level of emotional attachment to the properties. It's so interesting. It's such a good thing to be instilled in in quite a young age to to treat it like a business, you know, rather than some kind of emotional uh, emotional concern. Yeah, I mean, I always said the deal of a lifetime, and you've seen it too with all of our clients. You know, the deal of a lifetime comes along, you know, bloody every day, basically, if you know how to look for it, right? And so, I think a lot of people can kind of get caught up in this FOMO of like, oh my god, I've got to, uh, you know, particularly auctions and stuff like that. They're like, oh my god, I'm going to buy this property. It's like, no, you don't. You don't need to buy that one. You can just buy another one. Right? It's all good. What's been some of the biggest mistakes that you've made? Because surely you've made some mistakes. Unreal. Un- unreal. The first mistake was thinking I'd manage to stand properly on my own, putting that tenant in there. Didn't know what I was doing. They talked the talk and, you know, they could pay the money, fine. But that was a hard lesson. It took months to get that tenant out. Went to the cops. They couldn't do anything because I had to go down through the official channels of the tribunal and all that kind of stuff. And you send the first letter, then you've got to give them 30 days. You send the next letter, another 30 days. You send the last letter, it's still another 30 days thereafter. Then you've still got to wait months for the tribunal to hear the damn thing. And once you send that first letter, what do you think the tenant does? They stop paying. And then you're out of pocket for X amount. And if I'd have known that going in, and, and dad told me don't do it. So, you know, credit to dad, but sometimes you just got to learn the hard lesson. But at that point, you know, 
you start realizing that you, it, this is not really something you want to be doing on your own. And key words there is if you've got someone that's got a level of experience that is far greater than yours, you sit there and you listen and you take the advice on and you let them guide you to, to whatever to degree that you need them to. I was a young upstart at 21. Yeah. Do you think that's a like? I think that's a big takeaway that a lot of people don't don't really think about. A lot of people think, "Oh, I can just kind of do it all myself." But it's like, if you can find someone who already knows better than you, right? Maybe listen to their advice so that you don't need to go and make all those mistakes yourself. Because you know, you hear that you hear the advice all the time. You know, fail fast and do all this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, but you could do also just like avoid the failing. The failing is great because it does teach you lessons, but it's not the only way to learn. You can learn from other people who have already done that. And that's actually a far better way of doing it. You don't have to, like, it's actually, if you really think about it, the whole idea of, like, you know, learning through failure, it's actually the stupidest possible way that you could learn because you're like, you just, you're constantly putting yourself back. It's like somebody else has already gone and made those mistakes. So why don't you go find out who's already made the mistake, ask them how to not make that mistake, and then just not do it. It's a far better exactly. way. Exactly. I mean, making mistakes teaches you humility. But wouldn't they're often modeling someone that's got the damn results you're looking for in the first place? Doesn't that make yeah. no sense? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. You correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you recently like do like a renovation uh, or something? Was that in your SMS? It wasn't a renovation. Talk to me a little bit about the SMS through Dashdot. Brilliant. Ah, got it. Got it. Got it. I thought you did some kind of. I thought you were doing some kind of Reno job recently. You know, no, 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 no Reno jobs. But just that was that was the biggest project I've had come up through recently. Yeah. Okay. Right. What did you learn about buying in your SMSF? What was the what like? What's different about that? Uh, there's a few more loops to to jump through from a uh, both a financial perspective and then also an entity or structure perspective. Um, so super broad, uh, not top broad, but top level is think of your SMSF like a big fat silo. Then inside of that every asset class would form its own individual silo within that big fat silo of the SMSF. So from that point of view, like there are some federal government laws, which I wasn't aware of, that, that sort of preclude you, for example, drawing equity out of property A and using it for property B. Um, I knew that one, but just as a really easy example. So there's a few other things like that that, that sort of go hand in hand. Um, but it was really a good process because the, the team – that got the finance together were like really straightforward and like, hey man, this is what you need to have organized. And um, let's hit this marker, let's hit that marker, and away we go. And it was, I mean, we're already at those markers, so it made it super easy. But um, yeah, it was just a really good, interesting perspective of, okay, there's a few more T uh, to cross, so a few more I stop basically. Yeah, super interesting. Super interesting. Now, you've been working at Dashdot for, must be going on like two years now. Part of two years, yeah. Yeah, wow. Well. Yeah. Best part of two years. And over that period of time, you would have spoken to, geez, somewhere between 500 and 700 uh, investors coming on board. And your your job, just to kind of help elucidate a little bit, is really to give people the guidance and advice that they need to know whether or not the right thing to do for them is to move forward, right? And so what I'd love to do is I'd love to leverage a bit of that because, you know, we often talk about on this podcast the fact that 71% of property investors have got get stuck at the first property, another 19% will get to the the second property. But the largest cohort of investors have actually got zero properties. Like, in, And I don't even know what the number is, but it's just phenomenal. And so most people, when they come to, to Dashdot, have got somewhere between zero and one properties, either zero or one. With most people, 
having zero because that's just the that's just the largest cohort of investors. And so, when people are earlier on in their journey, like typically when we see people have got three or four or five properties, they've finally understand the game and they're like, right, cool. Like most all the limiting beliefs have gone away. They understand how it works. There's less fear. They take more action. And it's one of those things that like success begets success. So once you've got people who have got a few runs on the board, they're like, okay, I understand how this works now. I don't need to be freaked out by it. But given that the vast majority of people have got zero or one property, so basically the the infantile stages of the journey, that'll be most of the people you've been speaking to would fall into that category. And so I'd love to actually dig into some of the insights that you might have gained from having, you know, edging up towards a thousand conversations over the last couple of years of people that are that are getting started on this journey. The benefit I think that's really interesting in this is that as you've as you pointed out, like you've personally bought and sold 13 properties. You've been involved in about 30 odd uh, transactions yourself, right? So you're coming from a place of person deep personal experience, 24 years of being an active participant in the investing space. Not just like, oh yeah, I was a real estate agent and I sold eight houses. It was like no, your background is actually on the investor side. And so you're actually able to come to this conversation with 24 years of experience and speak to people who have potentially no experience or very little experience to help guide them on that journey. And so I'd love to really dig into that because I reckon I reckon if we start to pull on some threads there, I reckon we might actually get to some really interesting insights that people will be able to consider for themselves and some questions they might be able to ask themselves. Because what I want most out of this podcast is I want people to be able to start to self-assess and start to try and take some action. And so what I'd love to um, start, well, let's start with, what do you think are the, some of the common misconceptions or common challenges people face when they're um, getting started on this journey? Boil it down to one word, man, which is action. And you said it right there. People will often come into these conversations coming up to the edge of the cliff and they know that that's where they are. They know that they're either going to take a step back or they're actually going to take a step forward and go off the edge of the cliff. The scary part is, and and one of the preconceptions coming into that conversation from a lot of these people being uh, so embryonic in their their investment journey is, I just don't know what I don't know. And that's okay, but that's where you lean on us. And that's where we're going to guide you. And that's where you get the opportunity to model off us using the data, the tech and the personal experiences that we all bring in the back end on your on your team yeah but zooming out a little bit from that like the the taking the us component out of it and focusing on the the individuals really the there's a sense that and i'm sure as i say this everyone's going to realize they've experienced this at certain points the greatest changes you ever experience in your life they always always feel like you're jumping off a cliff, like always. Like if you think back, if you're listening to this, just think back to like the biggest, hardest decisions you have ever had to make. It could have been um, the ending of a relationship. It could have been the starting of a relationship. It could have been quitting your job. It could have been deciding to move to another location. Any of these kind of like big life-changing moments, they all, you, you must cast yourself into the abyss you must be ready. You actually, actually, and I've really got, I distinctly remember a time in my life, which we won't go into, where I was like, I would rather throw myself off the cliff and 
have no idea what's on the other side than stay in the situation that I'm currently in right now. And so you you literally have to go through this thing where it's like, I prefer, I'm, I'm going to see what's on the other side. But the thing about that is it it never works out. It never turns out bad. Like if you think back on every single one of those circumstances, it always works out for the best. Like always works out for the best. And so how do you, how do you, what advice or sure, like let's riff on that for a little minute because I think like that's the biggest thing because most people, right, they inherently, if they're, if they're listening to this podcast, if they have, let's say that, you know, having a chat with you or any other member of the team, they've already in some way decided the property investing's in them, right? They've already decided. They're not, they're not sitting there going, geez, I wonder if I should invest. I think everyone knows, okay, yeah, investing's good. And the question then becomes around how do you get comfortable jumping off the cliff? Because you have to, like, let me just riff on this for a second because it's actually a really interesting context. Because, yeah, you could choose to work with Dashdot or not. You could choose to do it yourself. You could choose to work with somebody. I, I don't give a shit. But they're all they're all different cliffs you're just going to jump off. And so the question then is like, and we could wax lyrical about, uh, you know, we've got all the data. We can do this and that and the other. But if anyone listening to this probably already knows that we're best in class at what we do. I mean, we've won stupid amount of awards and no one's invested as much in technology as we've done. And I don't think we need to like prove our, <laughs> our, our merit. So the question then is like, what needs to happen in order for you to be able to jump off the cliff? I think there's three things. What are your thoughts on that? From a property investment perspective, you need to make sure your finances or you're financially ready to commit. There's a mental capacity that also needs to, to be ticked off as well. So you need to be mentally ready and prepared to be able to take that next step. And then there's also the emotional side of things. So between those three pillars, and, and what I mean by emotional is you have to be willing and able, which is the two other ones, the financial and the, and the mental capacity, to move forward off your own volition. Well, we combine all three. Yeah, sorry, mate. If we combine all three, it's a proper recipe for success. Let's dig into those because uh, then I want to understand because even I think if so, even if someone's really willing and able, I think they still might have a fear and limiting beliefs. But what, what would make someone ready, willing, and able? Like, how do they, how does someone need to, just so, because sometimes people can be ready and not realize they're ready because they're like, oh, no, nah, yeah. I need to, it's like, no, maybe you're actually ready. Yeah. How, how does someone know if they're ready? The conversation we're going to have, like, and that's part of what I do here at Dashdot is I'm, I'm going to dig into that stuff with, with my people. And I want to know genuinely where they're at because there's no point putting someone onto the next step if they're actually not ready to take that next step. And, and real quick side note, it's not uncommon for us mm. to actually say, hey, you're actually not ready. Come back to us in three, six months. Like, I just want to own that real quick. Now, with that being said, in terms yeah. of demonstrating readiness, financially, yes, that's easy. It's, you know, get all the paperwork done, speak to a broker. You don't need that pre-approval. Let's, let's just put that out there. But it's just that potential conversation around, hey, what potentially can I borrow uh, from that perspective? From a mental perspective, it's the, the ability to acknowledge that, hey, I am going to take this step and in speaking to us on the front end of uh, the journey with Dashdot demonstrates again that willingness to be ready uh, mentally because you've already engaged with us and you're already mid-conversation so we know from that perspective that you are mentally ready from an emotional perspective and, and this one becomes a little bit more tricky to sort of um, uh, not conceptualize but to make uh, to make real 
it becomes about the state of fear or the state of, okay, yes, there is a little bit of fear here, but I'm actually choosing to dance with this fear. I'm acknowledging the fear, but I know I'm ready to take that next step. So let me just dance with that and let's dance with you. And then we can make a, a really wonderful waltz or whatever, whatever the fashion is that you want to go ahead and dance on. Why do you think people have the fear? What do you think the fear really is? Too much noise, generally speaking. And I know it's a super broad comment to make, but there's too much noise. If you're listening to the news, you're already in the wrong place. If you're listening to 20 million podcasts, scale it back. Focus I only on listen to Dash Not Insider. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, the only po- it's the only podcast you need to listen to. 100%. 100%. <laughs> but scale it back to the focus area that you want to take on. There's no point listening to 20 million things about 20 million different subjects. Find one or two subjects that you're really keenly interested in and focus down that road. The other part of that would be basically they just don't know. Some people just plain and simple just don't know what they don't know. And that's from two sides. They don't understand what is potentially available to achieve. And then also conversely, the reverse. Yeah, I want to I want to play around with that a little bit because it's it's super interesting, right? Because if someone is uh, financially capable, so let's say they've got seventy five grand uh, in cash or equity, right? Let's say they've got borrowing capacity of you know three hundred grand, right? And there's a lot of people going to have more than those numbers. But let's say you've got those numbers, so you, you're able to sort of get going and uh, able to start making a dent and start building wealth. And the the first part is the hardest, right? Getting started by far, by far, like it's so getting from zero to one. If you just think about it, like zero to one is an infinite gain, gain because you're going from zero to one. It's like it's it's so impossible, but it's it's actually it's, it's, you can't measure it. Going from one to two is just a doubling, right? That's a hundred percent. So you've gone from an infinite to a hundred percent. It's like what the hell? Like it's 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 insane. So like getting started is the hardest part. Let's say let's say someone is let's say someone's got the money, they've gone to the broker, they're financially able. The fear pieces are the fear piece is super interesting because at the end of the day, you know, the fear is going to be based around a fear of loss or fear of making a mistake. Really, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be like, what if this, what if this doesn't work for me? What if I decide to invest and I get it wrong? And it's really, um, it's a really interesting thing to play around with because I don't think enough enough people ask themselves like, what if this works out? What if what if it, what if it all works out? Right? What if it all works out? And the, the the challenge, I think, there's a couple of challenges I think that exist within that context though. You know, we've already talked about some of the numbers. 71% of property investors get stuck at the first property. Why? Right? 19% only 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 another 19% get to the second property. Why? You know, and, and we've talked about it a lot on this show, but I'll, I'm gonna keep talking about it until bloody cows come home. 99% of property investors never never achieve their goals. And the reason they never achieve their goals is because you probably need about five properties in order to be able to build enough wealth or enough cash flow to be able to achieve the financial freedom goal that you want, right? Which means that 99% of property investors never actually achieve their goals. Why? Why is that the case? Well, the reason for that is because they get stuck. And the reason they get stuck is because they don't have a clear plan. They don't have the right guidance. and They don't have the right systems to be able to get them where they're... If you don't get stuck... Then you 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 can't help but achieve your goals, and the evidence points to the fact that because most people try and do it themselves, that's why they get stuck at the first property. So, I think the fear is probably reasonable, because 
the statistics point to the fact that most people do stuff it up. But then you've got to look at like what what steps can you take to 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 manage risk. Do you think um do you think that people can sufficiently educate themselves to avoid all risk, or do you think like like how do you, how do, what advice would you have to someone to to help them ameliorate some of the risk? Once you're able to take that first step, the amount of growth that you're going to achieve just in taking one step, which is the first property, taking that little bit of action, and I don't say that facetiously. I mean this with all the love in my heart. Action is the answer to alleviating the fear. The fear is always going to be there. There's fear going from five properties to 10 properties. There's fear going from one to two. There's much more fear going from zero to one. The answer to all of those different elements of fear is what is the appropriate level of action that I need to employ? What is therefore then the appropriate level of risk am I willing to dance with? What is therefore the appropriate level of um you know, readiness do I need to come up with both mentally and emotionally to be able to then take that step in confidence? Yeah. It's also, there's also another way to look at it, right? If you take action, so basically, I agree with you, by the way, taking action is the answer. Do it scared, basically, right? Like, like bra- bravery is not doing it without fear. Ba- bravery is being scared and doing it, doing it anyway. And here's, yeah, here's the thing if you take action, all things being equal, right? You've got a 50-50 chance of getting it right or wrong. If you do nothing, you've got a 100% chance of failure. And so so simply by doing something, right? Simply by doing something, you're massively, massively increasing your chances of success. Now, of course, uh, you know, obviously, I don't want to, uh, you know, brag too much or whatever, but, but we've got basically 100% success rate with all our clients. Like, it's unreal. And so you can seriously mitigate your risk if you know how to speak to the right people but even if all you did was take action worst case scenario you're going to learn a lesson worst case scenario and then you move on get on with it and the other side of the coin if i can jump in is is you actually build momentum through taking action once you've got momentum like it's a beautiful bloody thing it is become at certain points you're going to hit a tipping point and it's going to be a self-fulfilling piece of momentum and it will become unstoppable Mm. I'll point that out like that that's true from a property portfolio perspective because you buy and you know it'll grow and then you you use that equity to buy another one all of a sudden it snowballs and it's like a runaway freight train where it just starts tearing off into the distance but also that is true personally which is really really interesting so there's a guy called Jim Rohn who was Tony Robbins's um mentor you know back in the day he's passed away now uh I was listening to something from Jim Rohn. He was talking about one of his mentors who said to him, and this is back in I don't know, the forties or whatever. He said to him, I think he's, I think it might have been Earl Nightingale or something. Anyway, whoever it was, said to him, said said to this guy Jim Rohn, "Become a millionaire, not for the money, but for who you need to become for that in order to, in order to achieve it." Which is which is super interesting because you said the gro- you said the growth that you will achieve by taking action is phenomenal, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. People might misinterpret that and think, oh, you buy a property, you get growth. It's like, no, 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 no. The growth for you, who you become, who you become by doing the thing is the thing that will create more success. The easiest way, the easiest way to ensure that you don't become successful is never to do anything that will lead to success. And so by taking action, by taking a step forward, even in the face of fear, you become the kind of person 
that actually accepts and creates success in their life. And I think that that's the biggest thing. I, what if, I, I'd love to. You obviously get to see people uh, on the way in, and you also then get to see what happens to them as well. And one of the things that I love, right? Because people, people, anyone listening to this will, also, will already know should should already know that I'm not really a property guy. Like I don't, I don't sit around fawning over real estate, you know, and thinking, oh wow, how cool is it? I'm like no more than the average individual, you know, like whatever. What I what I freaking love, like what I freaking love, and the whole reason we started this business, and the reason I'm still excited about this business, is because of the impact it has on people, like the and when I talk about the impact, yeah, 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 like people making heaps of money and stuff. That's that 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 that's that's fine. Like that's cool. It's functional. It's utilitarian. But the, when I talk about the like the impact, it's not about the money. It's about what happens to those people. It's about when I see the change that happens in those individuals. Man, it's fucking nuts. Like it's crazy. It's so crazy. Like you see people go from fear and doubt to fully empowered. You see people who suddenly realize that they have their entire life under control and they're the masters and commanders of their own destiny. Like it's 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 phenomenal, and that it's so crazy. And I'd love to hear your take on this too, because like that thing, the thing that people want, the freedom, actually comes way before the passive income and all of that. All of that shit happens later. The freedom that everyone seeks comes just by taking the action. You get two or three properties in. Like the first property, people are still nervous. Second property, people are getting the swing of it. Third property, people are like, yeah, I'm rocking and rolling. By the fourth property. They're free because their mind has become free. And that's the thing. Man, it just it just blows my mind when I see people whose lives have been completely transformed by the process of doing the work. But I'd love to get your take on that. What's your? How do you derive satisfaction and fulfillment from the work that you do? What's your experience um, with seeing their success stories? Oh, you hit Mel on head, which is seeing that transformation, for want of better words. My why in taking this job and this role is to basically affect positive change in the next person's life. My my life's purpose, and I've done work with Tony Robbins, and um, you know, I'm doing dozens of other versions of the same thing. My life's purpose is to live my life as fully as possible, so that I can therefore affect positive change into the next person. That person can mm-hmm. get into the next person, and that sphere of influence. That's my why. That's exactly why I have these conversations with all of the people that I speak to. In terms of where I draw the satisfaction from, can I give you a real example? Yeah. Gentleman that I spoke to, he was I was probably six months into the role. He came from New Zealand, lived below the him and his family lived below the poverty line in New Zealand. He shipped over to Perth. He started working in mining. He was the first person in his entire family to save up 50k. Now, at the time we were buying property based on a sort of 50-60k buy-in. Um, so he qualified at that point in time. It was like different market conditions at the moment, that being said. He is also the first property, sorry, first person to own property in his entire family. He is now on property number four. Wow. Dash drop. What 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 wow. do you think this guy's mindset is like now, coming from below the positive uh, poverty line? Far out, man. Gone from below the pro- the poverty line, and he must have he'd have north of a million dollars worth worth of assets now if he's got four. Man, that's that's wild isn't it like that that changes not only his life but that changes the life of his family that's like that's um that's like lineage defining stuff and this is the thing like like what people don't realize is they have 
in their power the ability to change the course of their entire family lineage like the entire like like most people like you look at anyone who's successful and go back through their you know their heritage at some point the family wasn't successful but then somebody took action and somebody created the change and man like you can be that. You can do that. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing that I find so phenomenally exciting, particularly because most people think that real estate's hard, confusing, slow, risky, all that kind of stuff. It's like, man, if this guy can go from below the poverty line to to four properties, and that must have been in eighteen months or less, um, based on those dates that you just mentioned, that's insane. That's that. That's the kind of stuff that changes that, that changes entire right, kick generations. Up. This guy's under 30. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty nuts, right? That's awesome. Pretty nuts. That's so good. That's so good. Hey, what's your perspective on the current um current environment? You've been in you've been in, involved in investing yourself personally for the last 24 years, since 1999. So you've seen you've seen a few cycles, right? So you invested just before the Olympics. You saw the Olympics, then you went through um, 2008 GFC. You went through the teens. You saw the market go down and up. You've seen interest rate. What's the highest interest rate that you've seen? Uh, the highest interest I've paid is just over 9%. The first property, though, I'll never forget this one. Just I remember thinking I was a big shot because I negotiated down from 8.23% to 8.01%, and I thought I was a big shot at 21. That was the first interest rate I paid. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. So you've seen, yeah. So you've seen interest rates eight, nine percent. You've paid that you've paid. Um, so you've seen, you've seen a few market gyrations over the period of time. And one of the things that um, is, I think, inherently true because we've, as I've already pointed out, most property investors have got between zero and one, which typically means they actually haven't been involved in the market for very long, and so their memory is really, really short. Like they don't, they don't know. Like I was, me personally, man, two thousand. 2000 and uh, whatever it was, 8, 9, 10, 11. Um, and I was like in my early 20s. I was, I was in, I remember when Julia Gillard uh, got into power and I was in Vietnam and I I helped an Aussie across the street or something because they were, they were looked a bit stunned because the traffic was so crazy and I was, I was basically local. And so I, I helped out this Aussie and she turned to me and she, and I, she said, thanks. I said, yeah, no worries. And she goes, oh, you're an Aussie. I said, yeah. She goes, she goes, we've got a female prime minister. I was like, holy shit, you know. And so I was just traveling around. I was not investing in that period of time. And and like a lot of people that are investing now, they weren't even thinking about it back when we had higher interest rates and all that kind of stuff. And so, based on your experience, and also based on your like, you're in a pretty advantageous position being a dash stop because you get a lot of. Um, real interesting market knowledge what's your perspective on the current landscape uh of the real estate market and also where it's going and i'd like you to give that context through the lens of how people might think about it if they're thinking about investing at the moment yeah really great question i want to talk about sort of three key elements if you will one of those key elements is a current sort of stock shortage if you will um about a 17 year low for stock availability in most locations. It's not every location, just to be clear, but in most locations. With that level of stock availability, what's happening underneath that is there's building a whole lot of pent-up demand. Yeah. I understand some people might misconceive that as actually a bad thing, but it's actually a good thing because as that 
demand starts to open up and some of this pent up demand comes through, what does it create? That a price increase fundamentally, not artificially. The other part of this is I want to talk about consumer confidence. So um, through the GFC, even through COVID, like consumer confidence straight down. Typically speaking, what that translates to is less activity in the property market, which is less competition for purchases, which is less competition, so which is translating to stagnant, even declining prices. Um, you look at Sydney prices between May 2022 and May 2023, they actually went negative 2.32%. It might be 2.23%, but it was those exact numbers. Now, as consumer confidence goes back up, and it's, I, I, I think I read in one of the reports it was touted for the back end of Q2, start of Q3 next year before it starts approaching normal confidence levels. What's going to happen here is more competition is going to more, more activity, more competition in the property market. Again, fundamentally, what does that translate to but an increase, a significant increase in property prices? We've already got a double whammy effect happening over here. The last component up here I want to talk about is the immigration rates for next year. It is going to be an all-time record high. Couple that with the fact that we've already got a short housing shortage in the country. A, where are people going to live? But B, the ones that are going to buy property, what do you think is going to happen to the prices? But also B, the ones that aren't going to buy, they're going to rent somewhere. We've got a housing shortage on both fronts. What's going to happen between those three factors? It's all pointing, while we're not quite there yet, it's all pointing to a significant uptick in my perspective. Yeah, I'm... You say that we're not there. You say that we're not there yet, but if you look at the markets we're buying in, they're, they're yeah. fucking straight up. Like, oh, yeah. sorry, I, I generalized. I should have said, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's what, what's really interesting though is like, look at any like, not any market, but like, when you realize it's a boom, it's already too late. Yeah, but if you know what to look for, you can see the boom's already started. Yeah. And this is the thing that I think most people don't realize, and and that's okay. It's okay for them to not realize because it's not it's it's hard to, not many. It's very hard to be in fully informed. Yeah. But if you can actually see what's happening in the real estate market, you realize the boom has already started. Yeah. And I'm not sitting here trying to throw around boom stuff in some kind of like, you know, property spruker esque kind of like. Uh, it's just I actually am concerned. If I'm really frank, I'm like Jesus. There's not enough houses for everyone, and yeah. like. There's only one way the market's going, and it's up. Yeah. And yeah, you can already see it starting to happen now. Yeah. By the time we get to early next year, mid next year, man, it's going to be in the first swing. And yeah, yeah, and yeah. I mean, look, missed missed the boat's an interesting context. Yeah. You definitely will have missed the opportune time to get in. Yeah. But the other thing I want to just uh, reiterate to people because I hate um, Sometimes if someone's not ready to take action, it can start to feel scary and feel you can start to feel uh, a sense of dread. Like if you're not actually ready, you're like, oh my God, am I going to miss out? And the answer is no, you're not going to miss out, right? So if you are ready and able, you should get willing to participate in the market uh, right now. Like you should. If you're not yet ready, don't worry. You're not going to miss out. Um, there will be opportunities for you to make uh, significant wealth in real estate. So I, I just, I'd, I'd hate for people to be like, get depressed and think, oh shit, am I going to miss my chance? You won't miss your chance. There's plenty of opportunities. But the fact of the matter is, there are 
there is if you're ready if you're ready it is better to take action now than six <laughs> six months time. Time. correct that's what i meant by more yeah yeah just want to yeah, 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 yeah. no 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 yeah nothing wrong with what you said it's just um yeah i just uh I, like I, I just know like yeah i know there's people out there that are trying to get ready and it can sometimes feel like it can sometimes feel like it's getting away from them and and that it's all going to get too hard but it's not like stay the course yeah Stay the course because there's going to be opportunities and you can get in there and it's never too late. So um, what do you think about how do you – there's a lot of people at the moment I think that are getting – that are sitting on the sidelines because they don't want to experience negative cash flow in their portfolio. And they're like, oh, look, I'll I'll invest when interest rates go down. What do you you say to that? While I appreciate the negative cash flow fear, let's call it what it is, I don't think it should be the barrier to entry because you are going to sacrifice far too much of what we've just talked about in potential capital growth in the next short to medium term. Now, the question I feel like people have actually got to ask themselves if they are on the fence is what I'm actually, am I investing for? Am I investing for short-term cash flow or am I actually investing for perpetual growth and wealth creation? So depending on the answer to that question, you know, if you're coming over here in short term, cool, may not be the right time for that perspective. But if you're actually wanting to build wealth and to create a life, uh, which is what we're all about of abundance and, and freedom and choice, right? yesterday was the time to jump in. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And it's really interesting, right? Because if you don't have a plan, it's very hard to actually understand like what you need and how that might stack up. But it's very easy to get scared by, oh, it's negative cash flow. Oh, this is going to suck. But I think the very first step to to ameliorate the fear is to is to get a plan. And if you want a plan, if you're thinking about getting started and you're nervous and you're anxious about it, just reach out to us and, and get a get a plan. Because with a plan, you can actually see what you need to do in order to get to your goals. It's the very first step. Anyone who, anyone who tells you to just go and buy a house is leading you up the garden path. You can't do it without a plan. Without a plan, you are just it's like. You're just guessing. Even if you buy, even if you get the best performing asset in the country, it could still set you back if you get stuck. And so, without a plan, you're you're like you're flying blind, basically. And so, I think the most important thing people can do is to get a is to get a plan. We've developed technology to build a plan. So, yes, we have the capability to do that. And I'd suggest just reaching out to speak to someone to get a plan because with a plan, you can actually see where you. It's like driving with the headlights on. You can finally see where you're going, and then you might actually discover. Going ten grand negative cash flow in the first year maybe isn't actually even going to matter that much as long as you can afford it. Obviously, can I give you a personal uh-huh. example of that? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I recently had a plan done with stock. My cash flow in the first year is negative two and a half k. The cash flow in the second year is negative ten thousand dollars. It never goes below that number. Just to for context. Now that being said, by the time I get to thirteen years out, which is the the I had a 15-year goal, but I get to 13 years before I tick it. I'm at net 60K of cash flow per year, which is basically replacing replacing the life's income. By the time I get to 25 years out, the number increases significantly. I'm basically- Oh, what it is, roughly? Yeah, I can tell you right now, it's 255K net. Nice. By the time I get to 30 years out, I'm just shy of 500k because I'm going to buy a couple of commercial properties in there. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, people don't understand the the power of exponentiality, right? 
it's just it's crazy, right? And all great successes they start with a very shallow tail, and then they like the what's the way exponents work, right? So yeah, it's super interesting. And I think a lot of people are giving, as you pointed out, they're giving up growth when in favor of cash flow. When probably what they need right now is growth. Most people need growth in the early stages of their portfolio. I mean, it's it's fundamentally how you build cash flow, right? Um, I would I'd be keen on your perspective on this too, by the way. So feel free to jump in and correct me if I'm wrong. But if we're pushing growth, and let's say we start off on a 500k purchase price, and we're earning five percent rental yield on that, that's gross income 25k, right, per year. But if we get to, say, growth of, uh, you know, call it 100K just for super easy numbers here, and now year two, the property's worth 600K, that 5% rental yield has now turned into 30K gross rental income. So I'm not talking about the yield, I'm talking about the income. So by pushing growth, fundamentally, we are raising the level, the baseline level of the income. Yes. Uh, mathematically, that makes sense, but that also, that relies on... Uh uh, rents rising at the same rate as uh, prices, which doesn't doesn't always happen. So I'm not trying to debunk what you've just said, but I think that there's another way that we can interpret um, how growth becomes uh, cash flow. So number one, rents do go up, right? And so your yield is going to be based on the purchase price of the property. So you could buy a property today for 5% yield. And then if, if, the, um, if rents go up by 20%, then it's going to be a 6% yield. Now, it might take a year or two years to go or even three years to go up by 20%, right? But we've seen over the last couple of years, we've seen some markets' rents go up by 25% in a year. It's crazy. 30% a year has been bananas. It's not sustainable for it to keep doing that, but it's what it has been doing. But the point is that rents go up over time, and so your nominal income per asset is going to increase over time. But here's the other way. Here's the other way that actually translates. So if you're reliant on your cash flow to fuel your portfolio, you can only save the surplus cash flow that you create, which might be nominally a few thousand dollars a year. If you use growth to fuel your your portfolio development, you can get the 10% or 20% growth on a 500k asset, get 100 grand, flip that into buying another property, which is then going to then you know exponentially increase your um, capital um, capital growth across your portfolio. Then what you do, so you go through three phases in your portfolio, foundation, acceleration, legacy, and broadly speaking, the first phase, focus on capital accumulation. The second phase is like moving into a more balanced state where you're trying to manage the relative income while still pursuing growth. And then you take all that capital you've created and you go transfer that into high cash flow assets where growth is not the focus, the cash flow is the focus. And that's how you do it because you can't actually create the asset base size that is large enough to fuel your income desires without creating the capital first. So you've got to go create the capital to then go and buy all the cash flow assets. And if you don't do that, you're going to be stuck in first gear, taking 20, 30, 40, 50 years and wondering why you only get to about 15 grand a year in cash flow and you've just been struggling and then you'll be pissed off thinking real estate doesn't work. Well, no, it works. It's going to have the right approach. It's going to approach it in the right way, in the right sequence and the right process. That's a key word, sequence. It, this thing is sequential. It's not going to be by random, by random, by random, then it's all going to magically work. It's deliberate steps at deliberate stages to create what we want to create and get to those goals. Big go, 100%. So, Sam, I want to move to wrap this up now, but I want to know what is the one piece of advice you've got for someone who's listened to this podcast and they're thinking about investing and they want to get started? 
Speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, the action is where the key lies. Even if it's just a simple phone call, let's talk it out. Let's talk through what is actually achievable. And let's focus on that stuff rather than focusing on the fear. The fear is always going to be there. The only way to combat fear is to take the willingness and the choice to dance with that fear and then take the next step. So action is where it's at. It is always going to be action. Without action, you cannot build momentum. You cannot get to an exponential result like I talked about from my plan um, that I had done through Dashnot. You cannot get to those things without taking that first action. I love that. Learn to dance with the fear. I love that. The fear is always going to be there. It's such a good thing to remember. Because if you do nothing, the fear is going to be there. If you do something, the fear is going to be there. I, I just as a little side note, I got a little bit of um, I got a bit of food poisoning uh, yesterday, and um, and I was feeling man, I was feeling sick, and I was like, and I was supposed to go to the gym to do leg day, and I was like, I feel sick, and I was like, yeah, but I could I could sit here on the couch and I could feel sick, or I can go to the gym and feel sick. Like, what am I going to do? Because both both scenarios are going to feel sick, and one of them I will have done leg day, and the other one I won't. Right, so what am I going to do? Same, same thing, same mindset around fear. It's like, okay, yeah, I mean, you're going to feel fear anyway. You're going to feel fear if you do nothing. You're going to feel fear if you do something. But if you do something, you're at least going to start achieving things. <laughs> like yeah, I, I, that's the thing. Can I go next level with this idea? Because this is like, I love this stuff. Without the action, you're either stagnant or you're actually going backwards. If you actually take action, and you just touch on it. You're actually starting to achieve things. Even if it's 1% per day of action, by the time you get to the end of the year, that's compounded 365 times. The result from one first step to the end of the year is immense. And if you don't know what the answer is, I, I would suggest you go and work it out on a spreadsheet because it's pretty incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go work. I'm going to actually go work it out. I was like, oh, I don't know that. What is the number? But I can't remember what's made it either. So. No, I 100% agree with you. 100% agree with you. And small actions taken consistently over time lead to massive outcomes. So, mate, I've enjoyed this conversation. We should do it again. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Love it. All right, man. Take care. See ya. You too. Thanks, Goose. I'll see you a bit later.